Good morning. Good morning. If you like, you can go ahead and be opening your Bibles. Um, you can turn to Genesis 15. We're going to start there this morning, but we're going to be uh, looking at several different passages from uh, Genesis all the way through the first couple of chapters in Judges. We're going to move around a, a decent bit here in the first part of our lesson, but Genesis 15 is well where we will begin here in just a moment. Um, I wanted to say at the beginning of this lesson, and this is going to, this is all hopefully going to tie together. Um, but we're 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 beginning a new class on this, this coming this Wednesday night. And Clay mentioned it at the beginning of, of his class this morning. I appreciated his little introduction and uh, and encouragement for for that class we're about to begin. But the purpose of this class is going to be to help us understand the Bible story as a whole, which is exactly what what Clay was talking about this morning, Um, because we need to understand the Bible story. We need to understand this this 66-book story that that our Lord has left for us and what He has done for us over the the millennia, what, what we are to be participating in with Him today in our lives, um, and so that's that's going to be the goal of this class is to to understand from from Genesis to, to Revelation the story of redemption that God has left for us in His Word, and, and to give us a framework to get, to then go and study deeper on our own and study deeper together as a congregation as well, uh, and to help us as we study that. And so that's what this class is going to be about starting on Wednesday. And it's going to be uh, same class Wednesday and Sunday uh, for for this the first quarter of 2024, and I really encourage all of you to to be here for that. Um, it, it's my my prayer that it's going to be beneficial for us all, that we will all come away from it with a a better grasp, a deeper understanding of what God has left for us in His Word. Um, and this and again the first class is this Wednesday night, and we're really going to hit the ground running. Uh, and the classes are going to build on themselves, one after another. Um, so I'd really encourage you to, to make it a, a priority to be there so that we can all grow together as a congregation in the, the unity of faith that Paul writes about in, in Ephesians. <clears throat> what we're going to talk about this morning is hopefully, um, hopefully it will be an, an encouragement. There's, there's going to be a word of warning in here as well for us to continue to grow in the knowledge of God. Um, we talked about that a lot this morning in our class, actually, in Second Peter chapter three, um, and we'll close we'll close the sermon uh, later to, later this morning, reading a, a passage from from that chapter as well. Um, but th- that's what th- this is going to be about today: is encouraging us to continue to grow in God's word, to grow in the grace and the blessings that that He has, has provided to us. So let's go ahead and get into our lesson this morning. We're going to look at an example that's left for us in the Old Testament, the example of of Old Testament Israel. We're going to see the blessings that God gives to his people, and we're going to see the dangers uh, that that will come if his people don't seek after those blessings, and and hopefully we'll make some application for ourselves today. So Genesis chapter 15, Genesis chapter 15, beginning in, in verse 18. There, there we're told that on that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, who, who will become Abraham. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land. 
from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenite and the Kenizzite and the Kadmonite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Rephaim and the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Girgashite and the Jebusite. So Abram, is, he, he's wandering in the land of, of Canaan right now. God has called him from Mesopotamia, the land of his fathers, and he's brought him to, to Canaan. And, and Abram is a sojourner there. He doesn't have you know, one plot of land to call home. He, he's a nomad. And, but, but God is, is promising him here. He's already promised him once in chapter 12, and he's reaffirming the promise here in chapter 15 that I'm going to give this land to your descendants. And he told him earlier in the chapter, it's going to be several hundred years from now, 400 years from now, in fact. But I'm going to bring them back here. I'm going to give them this land. All of this land that you see will belong to your descendants. And that was a really important promise. Again, it was there in chapter 12. It's here now in chapter 15 as well. This land promise, the, the, the promise of, of the land of Canaan, the promised land of rest, was a very important promise that God made to Abram and that he would fulfill to Abram's descendants. And just... Think about how great and how wonderful these blessings would have sounded to Abram. Now, Abram was, was very much a wealthy man, God, and that wealth is attributed to God. God blessed him. God gave him uh, all of the, the possessions that he had, the flocks, the herds, all of that. But Abram didn't have a place to call home. He didn't have a place that, that was his, that he could give to his, the son that he doesn't even have at this point. He, didn't have, he did not have that. Of all the things Abram had, he didn't have a place to call home. But God said, this land, this, this, I'm giving this to you. I'm going to give it to your descendants. I'm going to give it to your descendants. He left a, a comf- very comfortable home that he had with his family in Mesopotamia. He came here to the land of Canaan, and God said, I'm going to give this to you. I'm going to give it to your descendants. This is a, a, a loving and a generous God that we see here in, in, chapter, in Genesis 15. Now turn with me, please, to Exodus chapter 23. All right, so we'll, we'll be moving through these first several books of the, of the Old Testament this morning. Exodus chapter 23. And to, to set the, the context just a little bit here, we are now 400, give or take a little bit, give a little bit, uh, 400 years from when, when God was talking to Abraham there in Genesis chapter 15. And Abraham's, Abraham's descendants have grown into a, a, a large nation in the land of Egypt. They were oppressed by the Egyptians, and God has now brought them out from the land of Egypt. You remember the ten plagues, God has, God has destroyed the might of Egypt. He has brought his people out from Egypt with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. And they're now at, the, the, uh, they're now at Mount Sinai. And God is, is giving the law to Moses. And this is really where Israel is. is they, they are now entering into a covenant relationship with God. The physical nation, Old Testament nation of Israel is entering into a covenant relationship with God here at Mount Sinai. And in chapter 23, God is going to, to speak to Israel about the, the, the land promise that he made to their forefather Abraham all those hundreds of years ago. So here in Exodus chapter 23, I want to start reading in verse 20. God says there, Behold, I am going to send an angel before you to guard you along the way and to bring you into the place which I prepared. Be on your guard before him and obey his voice. Do not be rebellious toward him, for he will not pardon your transgression, since my name is in him. But if you truly obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. For my angel will go before you and bring you to the land of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and I will completely destroy them. 
Ye shall not worship their gods, nor serve them, nor do according to their deeds, but ye shall utterly overthrow them and break their sacred pillars in pieces. But you shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will remove sickness from your midst. There shall be no one miscarrying or barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my terror ahead of you and throw into confusion all the people among whom you come, and I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. I will send hornets ahead of you, so that they will drive out the Hivites, the Canaanite, and the Hittites before you. I will not drive them out before you in a single year, that the land may not become desolate, and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. I will drive them out before you little by little, until you become fruitful and take possession of the land. I will fix your boundary from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines, and from the wilderness to the river Euphrates, for I will deliver the inhabitants of of the land into your hand, and you will drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them or with their gods. They shall not live in your land, because they will make you a sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. I want us to note a couple of different verses here in this passage we've just read. First, let's look again at verse at verse 23. God says, My angel will go before you and bring you to the land of the Amorites, the, Hivite, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and I will completely destroy them. I'll completely destroy them, God tells the Israelites. He's going to destroy these people. And then the end, verse 32, You shall make no covenant with them or with their gods. They shall not live in your land, because they, may, they will make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. So God is making it very clear to the Israelites here as he's speaking to them at Sinai. The Canaanites are not to remain in the land. They're not to remain in the land. They will become a snare to you. They will, they will pull you away from me. The God who delivered you out of bondage in Egypt, they're going to pull you away from me. So they are not to remain in the land. And in fact, I am going to drive them out. I'm going to drive them out. But also look at, at, at verses 29 and 30. He, he gives a little bit more uh, specificity here about how he's going to drive them out. He says, I will not drive them out before you in a single year, that the land may not become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. I will drive them out before you little by little until you become fruitful and take possession of the land. So he's saying this isn't going to happen all at once. You're not going to cross the Jordan River and then, bam, all of the Canaanites are gone. He said, I'm, I am going to drive them out before you little by little. And this was for Israel's benefit. It was, it was so that if, you know, if he drove, drove them all, all at once right after they crossed the Jordan, you know, well, that's, Canaan is a, a big land. And so the, if, if God just got rid of all of the inhabitants who had settled there, who were living there, who were tending the fields and, and hunting the beasts and all of that, the land would become a wilderness before Israel could, could populate it and could fill it completely. So God, as a wise, loving God who wants to give good things to his children, he's saying, I'm going to drive them out before you little by little until you take possession of the entire land. And again, God's saying, I'm going to do this for you. I am giving you this land. Now let's turn to, to the book of Deuteronomy. Keep the, these, these uh, promises in mind. We're going to be reminded of them here in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7. And again, to, to get the setting for this passage, we're going to start reading in verse 17 in a moment. We are now roughly 40 years after Exodus 23. So Exodus 23, where we were just reading, they, were, they had come to Sinai. God was giving them the law. But now, and then after Exodus 23, they, they keep on traveling to the land of Canaan. They get to the borders of Canaan, and, and you all remember what they do? They send the 12 spies into the land. Ten come back and say, we can't take the land. The people are too strong. They don't have faith in God. God had just told them, I'm going to give you the land, but they didn't have faith in him. 
And so because of that, they then have to wander for 40 years in the wilderness. And now, here in Deuteronomy 7, we're, we're at the end of those 40 years of wandering. They're preparing to enter the land again. And Moses is really in his death address. Moses is not going to enter the land. He's going to die without entering it. But in his death address here, he is reciting to the people the, entire, the, the law again. What they were given at Sinai, he, he is repeating it to them here, reminding this new generation of Israelites, this is what you've agreed to. This is the covenant that we've made with God. And, and these are the promises that God has, has given to you in his covenant. And let's read here again, beginning in verse 17 of Deuteronomy 7, these promises that God is reiterating to the Israelites. <clears throat> and this is talking about when they enter this land that they're, that they're about to, to enter. If you should say in your heart, verse 17, these nations are greater than I, how can I dispossess them? You shall not be afraid of them. You shall well remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt. The great trials which your eyes saw and the signs and the wonders and the mighty hand and the outstretched arm by which the Lord your God brought you out. So shall the Lord your God do to all the peoples of whom you are afraid. Moreover, the Lord your God will send the hornet against them until those who are left and hide themselves from you perish. You shall not dread them, for the Lord your God is in your midst, a great and awesome God. The Lord your God will clear away these nations before you little by little. You will not be able to put an end to them quickly, for the wild beasts will grow too numerous for you. But the Lord your God will deliver them before you and will throw them into great confusion until they are destroyed. He will deliver their kings into your hands so that you will make their name perish from under heaven. No man will be able to stand before you until you have destroyed them. The graven images of their gods you are to burn with fire. You shall not covet the silver or the gold that is on them, nor take it for yourselves, or you will be snared by it, for it is an abomination to the Lord your God. <clears throat> and so, again, the very similar message that, that he was given at Sinai. And again, this is kind of a, a repeating of a lot of what was said at Sinai. <clears throat> God is going to fight their battles for them. The emphasis here is on God's power and on the fact that He is going to fight their battles and He wants to give them this land. He wants to give His, his, his people, the Israelites, this land because he, he is a loving and gracious and generous God. It's what He wants to do for them. <clears throat> and so, the, again, this has brought us to the border of Canaan. They're about to cross into the land. And, the, and then once they cross into the land, you, we, we read about that in the first first good chunk of the book of Joshua, and we, we, won't, we won't read from there this morning, but God takes them into the land, and God does for them what he said he would do for them. Think about the, the battle at Jericho. The Israel, they march around the city, they shout with a shout, they blow the trumpets, and God causes the walls of Jericho to just fall straight down, and they go in and they sack the city. And, and they continue to, to just move throughout the land of Canaan, conquering all these people because God is fighting their battles for them just like he said he would. He told Abraham 500 years prior that I'm going to give this land to your, to your descendants. And, and we, we read through, all throughout the book of Joshua as he is doing exactly what he said he would do. He's giving them this good land for them to live in. And so we read, let's look at Joshua 21. It's now towards the end of the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 21. Let's, look at, let's note the fulfillment of these promises here. Uh, beginning in verse 43, Joshua 21, verse 43. So the Lord gave Israel all the land which he had sworn to give to their fathers, and they possessed it and lived in it. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, according to all that he had sworn to their fathers, and no one of all their enemies stood before them. The Lord gave all their enemies into their hand. Not one of the good promises which the Lord had made to the house of Israel failed. All came to pass. 
What, what, a, what a wonderful passage. Not one of the good promises which the Lord had made failed. They all came to pass. We, we, we see the faithfulness of God to his people, the faithfulness of God to his promises. And look at, look at what Israel receives because of this. They have rest on every side, rest from their enemies, rest from the nations. Not one of all their enemies stood before them, we're told. So I think what we're seeing here is that there, there, are, no, there are no standing armies left in the land of Canaan who are, trying, who are going to try and drive Israel out of the land. We're going to see here in a moment that there are still portions of the land that Israel needs to, needs to move into, and they need to go out and settle these lands and settle their inheritance but there are no standing armies that are, that are going to march against them and try and drive them out. God has given them rest on every side. He, he has conquered the land for them and given them this land of promise. Now let's turn and look in a couple of chapters later in Joshua chapter, Joshua chapter 23. Joshua chapter 23 and verse 1. Now it came about after many days when the Lord had given rest to Israel... Keep, keep noting that, that word, rest. When the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their enemies on every side, and Joshua was old, advanced in years, that Joshua called for all Israel, for the, their elders and their heads and, and their judges and their officers, and said to them, I am old, advanced in years, and you, have, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations because of you, for the Lord your God is he who has been fighting for you. See, I have apportioned to you these nations which remain as an inheritance for your tribes, with all the nations which I have cut off from the Jordan even to the great sea toward the setting of the sun. The Lord your God, he will thrust them out from before you and drive, drive them from before you, and you will possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. Be very firm then to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses so that you may not turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left so that you will not associate with these nations, these which remain among you, or mention the name of their gods, or make anyone swear by them, or serve them, or bow down to them. But you are to cling to the Lord your God as you have done, as, as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out great and strong nations from before you, and as for you, no man has stood before you to this day. One of your men puts to flight a thousand, for the Lord your God is he who fights for you, just as he promised you. So take diligent heed to yourselves to love the Lord your God. For if you ever go back and cling to the rest of these nations, these which remain among you, and intermarry with them so that you associate with them and they with you, know with certainty that the Lord your God will not continue to drive these nations out from before you. But they will be a snare and a trap to you, and a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from off this good land which the Lord God, the Lord your God has given you. And so we see here in Joshua's farewell, Joshua's farewell address to the people, he's saying there are still people here. There are still people in the land, but God is going to continue to drive them out for you. And, and you, know, you might ask, well, how does, how does that jive with the end of Joshua 21 where we're told that the Lord fulfilled all the promises that he made? Well, think about what we read in Exodus 23 and again in Deuteronomy 7. God told them, I'm, going, I'm not going to drive them out all at once so that the land won't lie desolate. And so what it seems like God has done is he has destroyed all of the armies that might stand up against them and march against them to drive them out. But there are still people in the land. There are still people who, have, who are settled in the land. And what Joshua is telling the Israelites here is, as he is, is preparing to die is he's saying you need to keep seeking your inheritance. Keep filling out in the land like God has told you to. And God will fight your battles for you just as he, ha- just as he has all these years. He will drive the people up before you. One of you will put to flight a thousand. Continue to seek after the blessings that God has promised you, that he's promised to your fathers. 
and, and, and take note of what would happen if they didn't pursue those blessings. Joshua says God's not going, God is not going to, to drive them out if you don't want that. If you don't seek after that blessing, he's not going to do it. And it's not going to be because he's unfaithful. It's going to be because you were unfaithful to your covenant. So continue to seek after those blessings. Continue to fill out in the land, and God will allow you to do so. God will lead you in that. Let's turn now to the book of Judges. Judges chapter 1. Judges chapter 1, and I want to read a few verses from this chapter. The first verse I want to read is verse 19. It says, Now the Lord was with Judah, and they took possession of the hill country, but they could not drive out the inhabitants of the valley because they had iron chariots. In the beginning, and then verse 27, But Manasseh did not take possession of Bethshean and its villages. In verse 28, It came about when Israel became strong that they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but they did not drive them out completely. Verse 29, Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites who were living in Gezer. So the Canaanites lived in Gezer among them. Zebulun did not drive out the inhabitants of Kitron. So the Canaanites lived among them and became subject to forced labor. Asher did not drive out the inhabitants of, of Akko. So the Asherites lived among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land, for they did not drive them out. Naphtali did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh. <coughs> The, the inhabitants, uh, but they lived among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land, and the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh and Beth Anath became forced labor for them. Then the Amorites forced the sons of Dan into the hill country, for they did not allow them to come down to the valley. If the Amorites persisted in living in Mount, Mount Harris, in Ajalon, and in Shalbim, but when the power of the house of Joseph grew strong, they became forced labor. And so what, what we see here is that the Israelites didn't do what Joshua reminded them to do. They didn't continue to fill out in the land and to, to take all of the land that God had told them that he was giving them. They did not continue to seek their inheritance, the, the blessings that God wanted to give them, and drive everyone out. And, and note, this wasn't God's fault. You know, it, it's, it's almost a curious verse, verse 19, that we read, that they couldn't drive out, uh, that, that Judah couldn't drive out some of the inhabitants because they had iron chariots. <clears throat> What had, God, what had God done to the chariots of the Egyptians when they chased after the Israelites leaving Egypt? He overthrew them in the Red Sea. It's, it's not as if a, a chariot is the one thing that God can't handle. What's going on here is that the Israelites, the, the, the tribe of Judah in that verse, they didn't have the faith that was necessary to drive out the people. Like their, their, the generation before them, they saw these people, they saw their weapons like, ah, they're too strong, we can't do that. And so... Because they didn't put their faith in God, God didn't drive them out for them like, like he could and like he said that he would. And I think we see that, again, with the rest of those tribes we read about, with Manasseh, with Ephraim, with Zebulun, Asher, Naphtali, and Dan. All of, these, all of these tribes that did not take their inheritance that God was wanting to give them. <clears throat> and let's read now in the next chapter of Judges, Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 2, verse 1, Now the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochum. And he said, I brought you up out of Egypt and led you into the land which I have sworn to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And as for you, you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars. But you have not obeyed me. What is this you have done? Therefore I also said, I will not drive them out before you, but they will become as thorns in your sides, and their gods will be a snare to you. 
the, the, the direct result of their lack of faith is the direct result that God said would happen, is that he's going to leave the inhabitants. He's going to leave the inhabitants as a thorn, just like he said he would back in Joshua chapter 23. Because the Israelites did not pursue the blessings that came from being God's people, the, the, the inhabitants in Canaan were going to stay, and, and, and Israel would not enjoy the promised rest that God wanted to give them. And now let's read finally in verse 11, beginning in verse 11 of chapter 2, as we see the consequences of this lack of faith, of this refusal to grow in the blessings that God was giving them. Then the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, and they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt, and followed other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them, and bowed themselves down to them. Thus they provoked the Lord to anger. So they forsook the Lord and served Baal and, and the Ashtaroth. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he gave them into the hands of plunderers who plundered them, and he sold them into the hands of their enemies around them, so they could no longer stand before their enemies. Wherever they went, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil, as the Lord had spoken, and as the Lord had sworn to them, so they were severely distressed. This is what it looks like. This is what it looks like when, when the Israelites didn't pursue the entirety of God's blessings. And just note the, the horrible consequences here. God had brought them out of a land of slavery, out of a land of death, out of a land of subjugation, to this wonderful land flowing with milk and honey that he told them, this will be your rest. This is your inheritance. This is your rest from your labors. But because they do not seek that blessing to the fullest extent, they don't get the blessing at all. They lose what they had in the first place. They, they became complacent with what they already had in the land, and they didn't pursue all of it. And because of that, they lose. The, not only do they not gain what they should have gained, but they lose what they had in the first place. They're sold in their hands of, the, of, of their enemies. We're told at the end of verse 14 that they could no longer stand before their enemies. What had God told them previously? He said, not one of the enemies will stand before you. But now the Israelites can't stand before their enemies because they have not sought the blessings that God wanted to give them in faith. It's important to note that, that when Israel grew complacent, things did not just hold steady as they were. It's not that Israel got to a point where, all right, we're comfortable here. We'll just maintain this. I know we could have something better, but this is pretty good right now, so we'll just continue right here with what we got. It seems like that's what they tried to do, but they didn't continue with what they had. They lost what they had. There is no such thing as maintaining a status quo as God's covenant people. You must always be growing in the blessings that God wants to give you as his people. But the Israelites, they didn't press forward, and they spiraled out of control, and they lose all of the blessings that God gave them. And you can read the rest of the book of Judges and see just how bad things get when you don't seek after the Lord. The, the, the nation that's, that's left at the end of the book of Judges looks nothing like the, the nation that was just moving through the land of Canaan during the generation of, of Joshua and Caleb. And so, just for our application this morning, I hope that we can learn from Israel's mistakes. And as we, as we enter into the, quote, the, I guess, the application part of our sermon, I want us to take a word of warning and a word of encouragement from Israel's examples. First, the word of warning. To not fail as Israel failed to obtain the blessings that God has prepared for us, the blessings that God wants to give to us. <clears throat> God had promised many blessings 
to Israel that were related to the land of Canaan. And ultimately, the blessing that he wanted to give them there was rest. And this rest, it was theirs to be had if they would simply put their faith in God and pursue what he was offering. I'm afraid that sometimes today we grow complacent like Israel did. We we grow complacent in what we've already received from God, just like Israel did. You know, we're, we're baptized. We're delivered from bondage, from, from bondage to sin and a certain death. We've been added to God's kingdom, to spiritual Israel. We have a, a wonderful group of people that we associate with and that we worship God with. But then we stop. Not that we stop attending, not that we stop, but we just kind of hold steady with where, with where we're at, or we try to at least. We, we don't continue to grow in the blessings that God has prepared for us. And just over time, we become comfortable with where we're at. And I think perhaps this type of complacency can, can be seen in our attitude towards spiritual growth. We may find ourselves asking certain questions. We might ask questions like, you know, well, but is it sinful for me to do fill in the blank? Is it, is it sinful for me to do it? When, when really we should be asking the question, does this make me more like God? Because... God, a God who is compassionate and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in faithfulness and truth. He has delivered us from our sins. So we should want to be like him. We see, the, the, we see his love, we see his mercy, we see his generosity, his benevolence towards his people. We should want to be like him. And we should be making decisions based on what moves us closer to him, not what keeps us just far enough away from sin. That's looking back to the borders of Egypt and saying, just how close can I get to the borders of Egypt? Not, man, what, what, how much more can I enjoy here in the land of Canaan as I grow closer with my God who has given this to me? <clears throat> I think another warning sign of complacency uh, is, is when we kind of just hit the brakes a little and stop, stop digging deeper to better understand the nuances and the details of God's word. And we talked about this a lot this morning in our class in Second Peter. <clears throat> you know, o- over the years, I've I've become aware of a, a a curious habit that that we in the church sometimes have. I've seen this at, at various places. I've seen this in myself. And the habit is that sometimes, you know, I, I want to determine whether a passage of scripture is is doctrinal. You know, is this is this passage of scripture doctrinal? Is this passage of scripture, you know, really related to my salvation? And if it is, if it's doctrinal, if it's related to my salvation, then I'll take time to study it in detail. And I'm going to come to a strong understanding of what God is telling me there. But if a, if a passage isn't doctrinal, if it's not related to my salvation in my mind, then I think I run the risk of, at least subconsciously, downgrading that passage and not spending a whole lot of time meditating on it, perhaps. And I understand the mindset that is behind this comment. And again, I've had this mindset myself before. And it's not necessarily a, a sinful mindset per se, but there, there, because there are certainly things that we must understand and we must agree on related to how one becomes a Christian in the first place. But for those of us, but for those of us who are Christians, we can't sit back and be happy that we understand those passages and not continue to strive to learn more and more about God's word. Because as long as God is blessing you with breath here on this earth, you should be growing in his word. You should be growing in knowledge and depth of understanding of his word. Paul, or, 
Paul. I don't know why I keep saying Paul when I'm talking about Hebrews. But the Hebrew writer, in Hebrews chapter 5, he, he, he gets on to his, to his audience because he says, you know, you should be teaching others. But, I've, but, but, I, but we can't go on right now because you're still on the milk. You should be on the meat, but you're on the milk right now. <clears throat> they should have been growing in knowledge and in depth of knowledge of God's word. Turn, turn with me, if you will, to 2 Timothy chapter 3. <clears throat> 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul is encouraging Timothy here, and it should be an encouragement to us as well. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, Paul says, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. <clears throat> Paul says there, he says, All Scripture. All Scripture. Old Testament, New Testament, all Scripture is profitable. It is necessary so that the man of God may be adequate, the New American says, or complete, your version might read, might read, that we might be adequate, complete, equipped for every good work. We need all Scripture to be that. We need all Scripture to be complete, to be equipped for every good work. This is Old Testament. This is New Testament. This is the passages we're familiar with. This is the passages that we're not familiar with. You know, do you want to understand God's nature? Go read the book of Leviticus, and you'll understand God's nature. You will understand his holiness, but his mercy toward his people. Do you want to understand what God expects of a people who are in a covenant relationship with him? A people who, who are called by his name? Go, go read some of what he has to say in the minor prophets to Israel. You, you will understand what God expects of you as, 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 as someone who is in a covenant relationship with him. You know, if you want to understand what justification is, justification is one of the most important, important topics that we can study in the New Testament. Paul wrote an entire, the entire book of Romans about this. If you want to understand, if you want, to, if you want a picture of justification, go read Zechariah chapter 3. It is illustrated beautifully what it means to be justified by God there. All scripture is given for, for, for our benefit. It is all inspired by God. It is all profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, righteousness, and it will make us complete. It will, make, it will equip us for every good work that we should be engaged in. <clears throat> so, so, so let us strive to, to come to a better understanding of the depths and the details of God's word because they matter. They're important. Especially for those of us who are, who are already in relationship with God. We, we must not lose sight of where we were. We must not lose sight of, of, of how we were saved. We must think on that, and then we must continue to grow in that and come to better understanding, a deeper understanding of, of the blessings that, 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 are, that are found for us in God's Word. That, that, that is the, the word of warning for us this morning, but I want to leave us, hopefully, with, with a word of encouragement about these blessings. You know, think, think about Israel, what, what, all that we've read about Israel uh, this morning. What would they have enjoyed if they had driven out the inhabitants like God commanded them to? Well, they would have enjoyed rest, right? We, we saw that word several times. They would have enjoyed rest in the land of Canaan. And this rest they would have enjoyed, it's not just not having to labor, which that in and of itself would have sounded wonderful to the, those who were slaving away in the land of Egypt. I mean, I don't have to 
to make twice as many bricks as I can in a day and, and get whipped if I don't? Yeah, that, that, sign me up for that. Sign me up for that rest. But it's even so much more beyond that. Um, we, we, we read in Exodus 23, I want to read a couple verses from there again here. Exodus chapter 23, we, we get a, a, just a, a glimpse of the abundance, the plenty, the blessings that, that are all in, involved in, in enjoying God's rest. Exodus chapter 23 and verse 25, But you shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will remove sickness from your midst. There shall be no one miscarrying or barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. It's not just rest from labor. It is abundance. It is, it is plenty. It is not lacking in anything. It, the, the, he, he promises the, Israel, the Old Testament Israelites here, I will remove sickness from your midst. There are, are wonderful, wonderful, wonderful blessings that, that come from being in a relationship with God and from continuing to grow in that relationship and grow in the blessings that he wants to give to us, to lay hold of those blessings <clears throat> that he wants to give to us. This is what God's rest looks like. And so think about what happens today as we grow in God's grace, as we grow in his blessings. <clears throat> as we grow, as we study, as we continue to be refined and purified, sin is being removed from us. Our fleshly desires are being replaced by heavenly desires. In short, we are becoming more like God. And you know, this is what was promised in Jeremiah, this is, and, and what was repeated in Hebrews chapter 8, if you'll turn there with me now. God has promised us this. And we see in Joshua, we, we see how faithful God is to his promises. This is something he's promised to us. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10, quoting from Jeremiah, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds, and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen and everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all will know me, from the least to the greatest of them, for I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. God's nature becomes our nature as we grow in the knowledge of his word, as we seek after him. His nature becomes our nature. His law, his his very character becomes written on our hearts. And we continue to become what we were always supposed to be, humans who bear the divine image. These are just some of the blessings that, that come in this life as we, as we seek after God, as we continue to grow in his word and grow in the things that he has prepared for us, the things that he has, has given to us. <clears throat> you, 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 we, we enjoy this peace that passes all understanding when we are filling our created role. You know, when I am, when I am not trying to buck against what I was created for, there's peace that comes from that. There's a sense of purpose that I can only have when, when I am aligning my life with what God designed for me. There, there is uh, the sense of belonging that you have as you continue to grow in relationship with God and with his people. And again, beyond the immediate blessings here on this earth of growing in God's promises, there, there's the blessing of eternal rest with our God in the end. You think about the wonderful promised rest that God Gave, that God offered to the Israelites in the Old Testament. We've read about those blessings this morning. 
you think about that, the, the rest that they were supposed to enjoy in the land of Canaan. You know, he said, I'll, I'll take away sickness, no, no barrenness, your food, your drink, I'll fulfill all your years. That was just a shadow, just, just a, a fleeting shadow of the ultimate rest that God has promised us in the new heavens and the new earth. Turn with me, please, to Revelation 22, last chapter in our Bibles. Revelation chapter 22, beginning in verse 1. Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of its street. On either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his bondservants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and there will no longer be any night. And they will not have need of the, of the light of the lamp and the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them, and they will reign forever and ever. That is the rest that God has promised to us, that we should grow in. That this is the final eternal rest with our God. <clears throat> and these are the blessings that, that await those who put their faith in God. The, the, these are the blessings for those who lay hold of the good things that our Father has in store for us. And, and the, the thing about these blessings... The thing about these blessings is that as, as we ourselves lay hold of them, we also share them with others. And as, as the sin and the darkness is driven out from my heart, I'm going to be sharing the good news of relationship with God with those in the world around me who don't yet know Him. And so as, as sin is driven out from me, sin is going to be driven out from the world around me as well. So, so let us not grow, grow complacent or lazy in the blessings that we're already enjoying. Let's continue to grow. Let's continue to be refined and be made more like God. Let's lay hold of the blessings that are before us and share them with others. And let's long for our King's return when we will enjoy God's promised rest in the new heavens and in the new earth. Turn with me, please, to 2 Peter chapter 3. I want to read this passage, and, and the lesson will be yours this morning. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 14. Again, this, uh, I actually added this to, to the sermon during our class this morning. I thought this would be a, a wonderful passage to end with. Second Peter chapter three and verse fourteen. Therefore, beloved, therefore, beloved, and this is Peter writing to 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 Christians in in the first century. But as I read this, I, I want you to hear this as me reading this to you this morning. Therefore, beloved, since you look for for these things. Be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the scripture, to their own destruction. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. There are, there are difficult things to understand in Scripture. There are difficult things to apply in Scripture. But again, as long as God is giving you, as give, is giving you breath here on this earth, we should be studying these things. We should be growing in these things. We should grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as Peter encourages us to here in this chapter. 
So let's continue to do that. Let's do that together. As we're entering this new year, let, let us resolve that we are going to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord together. We're going to grow individually, and therefore we will grow collectively as a congregation. And, and God will, will do wonderful things for us as we seek him and as we grow in him. It's what he wanted for the Israelites in the days of Joshua. That's what he wants for us today. And so I hope that this is an encouragement for you as we enter this new year, as we are going to begin this, this new study here this coming week, as we are trying to understand the entirety of the Bible, of the Bible story. There, there is so much in here. There is more than a lifetime's worth of information here for us to study and understand, but that shouldn't serve as something that discourages us. That's a challenge that God has laid before us, and he said, I will help you. I will help you to understand this if you will just seek me. If, if, if you seek me, I will be found. So if there's anything that we can do for you this morning, if you need to enter into a relationship with him for the first time, if, if you've sinned against him and you recognize that you're living in sin, he wants you to, to, to repent. He wants to heal you and wash away your sins and justify you. And, and so if, if you need that this morning, then we, we, we can baptize you and your sins will be washed away by the blood of the Lamb. If, if you need encouragement, if you need prayers, if you, need, if you have anything that you need from the congregation this morning, you can let us know. You can come now as we stand and as we sing. The great physician now is near the sympathizing Jesus.